Welcome to Reformation Roundtable. This is episode number 22, and today we are going to continue our look at sacramental theology. Protestants have two sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Today we're going to be talking about baptism as the direct correlation to our last episode that looked at covenant theology. Last episode, we discussed what covenant theology was and what the implications were. Well, one of the implications is Who's in, the, who's in the covenant, and who gets the sign of the covenant. In the old covenant, it was pretty clear. In the new covenant, Christians haven't been quite so unified on who should receive the sign. So we're going to hear a teaching from a man by the name of David Chilton. He's going to walk us through his teaching on covenant theology and household baptism. You're not going to want to miss that uh, teaching. It's a very, very good teaching. After the teaching comes the Reformation Roundtable discussion that took place between several um, men and actually some of their kids as well on planting a Reformed church in Lewis County here in Washington State. We want to see a Reformed church grow here because we feel like this kind of church brings God tremendous glory, and we'd love to bring God glory in that way in this area. If you'd like to join us in what we're doing, head on over to lewiscounty.church, and you will find all of our resources there, as well as a contact form where you can reach out, and I will make sure you get brought into the fold and join us for what we're doing. Okay, before we turn it over to David Chilton, I'd like to just say one more thing on baptism. Number one is that no one in this discussion or nowhere in the discussion that David is going to present will he advocate for baptism, the sign of the covenant, or circumcision, the sign of the covenant, being salvific. Salvific is the term that means that it's the thing that's saving you. So water baptism does not save you. Jesus saves you. Just in the old covenant, the circumcision of the flesh did not save you. In the New Covenant, the exact same thing is true. Water baptism does not save you. It is necessary. It is important. It is commanded by Jesus. But we obviously have instances in the Bible even where people were saved. They were regenerate. They were born again, but they were never baptized. The thief on the cross actually comes up as a discussion point in the Reformation Roundtable discussion that follows the teaching. So just to make sure everybody is entirely clear, Nowhere in this discussion will you find the argument that baptism itself is the thing that is saving you. It's Jesus that saves us, and baptism is the symbol of that saving work. So as long as we're all clear on that, we're all coming from the same position of biblical inerrancy, the authority of Scripture, and from that unity, we are exploring some of the diversity of, of opinions on what the covenant is, who should receive the sign, and how it should be administered. So I hope you enjoy the teaching by David Chilton and the discussion that follows. I don't like to call it infant baptism. I like to call it household baptism. Amen. And uh, you'll find out why. But coming to that position was difficult for me. Uh, and I believe it now. I preach it with zeal. Don't let my zeal disturb you, right? Uh, I, uh, I can get real zealous about something, and it looks like I want everybody to agree with me in five minutes. I didn't come to this position in five minutes. Uh, I don't expect very many other people to either. 
The covenant. Why do we have to understand the covenant in order to understand baptism? Baptism is related to the covenant like circumcision is related to the covenant. And we have to understand that the covenant is imposed on us. I think that's one of the most important understandings we can have of the covenant. Biblically, the covenant is something that is imposed on us. It's not something that we decide on our own. Uh, historians of the Puritan era have made a mistake when they've talked about the covenant. Sometimes you'll, you'll pick up a pretty good book about the Puritans, but they'll get some things wrong because they don't understand the theology. One of the things they don't understand is they'll say something like this. The Puritans saw the covenant as an equal contract between God and man. No, they didn't. The covenant is not an equal contract. The covenant is imposed on us. It's a Lord imposing a covenant on his vassal. The covenant is the imposition and administration of God's lordship. That's the nature of the covenant. It's not God and man equals shaking hands like this. It's God coming to man and saying, you belong to me. These are the terms of surrender. So in the covenant, God designates a people for himself and takes them over. The Abrahamic covenant, as with the other covenants in the Bible, follows a treaty pattern. I, I'm sure you've uh, heard some of this already, that the treaty patterns in the ancient Near East would be like this. Two kings would have a fight. The greater king would win over the lesser king. And the, and the greater king would impose a covenant on the lesser king and say, okay, here are the terms of our agreement. You're going to do this. You do this, and I will give you these blessings. But if you don't do this, I will give you curses. So the covenant involved lordship, a promise for obedience, a curse for disobedience, and more, most importantly, an authority structure. An authority structure. In other words, King Sammy and King Joe didn't just get together and make a covenant between them. That's not the way a covenant works. Never, never, never. A covenant, I mean, get this, if you don't remember anything else, just, you know, brand this on your consciousness. A covenant is never, ever, ever, ever between two individuals. Never find a covenant between two individuals. The covenant is between one Lord and another Lord, a lesser Lord, and all those under that lesser Lord's authority. Got it? That's a covenant. It's not just between the two lords. It's between the great lord and the lesser lord and all those under that lord's authority. That really changes your impression of the covenant, doesn't it? Covenant is not just individualistic. It's a lordship covenant having to do with authority structures. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. And we're going to park there for a while. Genesis chapter 17, we're going to look at the covenant that God made with Abraham. Genesis chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, excuse me, that's Abram, not Abraham, and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. 
Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, great father, but your name shall be called Abraham, father of a multitude. For I have made you a father of many nations. So, God imposes this covenant on Abraham, on Abram, turns him into Abraham. There's no consultation here. God doesn't say, Abram, what do you think about this? He just gives him a covenant. God doesn't ask him his opinion. So the covenant starts out with God saying who he is in verse 1. And Abram's responsibility. And he gives him a new name. A new identity. That's what a covenant does. Covenant gives someone a new identity. The covenant defines who you are. That's why in Israel, a child got his name officially when he was circumcised. Remember when John was born. John the Baptist. John the Presbyterian or something. <laughs> John was born and his father knew what his name was going to be, but he didn't get his name till he was till he was circumcised. Jesus was named Jesus at his circumcision. Well, not like it was any big surprise, just that's when officially he got his name because that was his definition. So a child received his definition at his circumcision. Throughout Christian history, children received their names at their baptism. That's why, you know, your first name is called your Christian name. You know, that's the reason. Because that's the name when you were christened. That's the idea. Throughout, throughout history, that's what happened. A child received his name, his definition in the covenant, when he was baptized. And so God gives Abram a promise of blessing for obedience. Verse 2, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Verse 4, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Down to verse 6 through 8, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you were a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So God gives promises, but the promises aren't unconditional because the promises are in the context of a covenant. It's a law covenant. And God imposes a law on Abram, redefines him, and says, this is the way you're going to walk. This is the way you're going to live. And I will be a God to you and your descendants. So the covenant is not just between God and Abram. It's Abram, now Abraham, and all of his descendants. Abraham and his household. So God gives him these blessings. God also gives him a curse. For disobedience. Not unconditional. Look down in verse 14. We'll, we'll take up the missing verses in a minute here. The uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. The way you make a covenant 
the, the usual term in the Bible for making a covenant is literally to cut a covenant. And without getting too clinical here, you understand that the flesh of the foreskin was cut. And there's a reason for that. God says, this is a symbol of cutting off. And if you're not faithful to this covenant, you see what happens? That's going to happen to your neck, buddy. Okay? Be careful. The covenant breaker is cut off. That's repeated again and again in the law where the covenant breaker would be excommunicated, sent into exile, sometimes executed. Let me give you an example of this. Here's from a, a treaty, an ancient Near Eastern treaty in the 8th century B.C. This is the kind of treaties they made. This is a treaty between Ashur-Nirari V. I mean, there not only had to be an Ashur-Nirari, but they had to have five of them, right? And he was the, he was the one who won, okay? He was the king that, that, that took over the other king. And the other king's name is Mati-Ilu. And they got out this ram. And they have this ram there in front of them. Get this. Here's, here's, the doc, here's the liturgy that they have. This ram is not brought from his herd for sacrifice, nor is he brought out for a Garitu festival, nor is he brought out for a Kinitu festival. Good to know that, right? It is to make the treaty, the treaty of Ashur-Nirari, king of Assyria, with Mati'ilu that he has brought out. Now get this. If Mati'ilu sins against the treaty sworn by the gods, just as this ram is brought here from his herd and to his herd will not return and, return and stand on its head, so may Mati'ilu with his sons, his nobles, the peoples of his land, be brought far from his land and to his land not return to stand at the head of his people. You see? This ram stands for Mati'ilu and his people. Now get this. This head is not the head of a ram. It is the head of Mati'ilu, the head of his sons, his nobles, the people of his land. If those named sin against this treaty, just as the head of this ram is cut off and his leg is put in his mouth, so may the head of those named be cut off. See? And he goes on, this shoulder is not the shoulder of a ram. Just as the shoulder of this ram is torn out, so may the shoulder of the one named his sons, his nobles, the peoples of his land be torn out. Now that's a covenant. Covenant cuts. And what happens here in symbol, that's a great blessing if it just happens in symbol. Right? Because if it doesn't just happen in symbol, if you sin against this, it's going to happen in reality. Leviticus 9. The people offer up a sacrifice to God, and they stand back and wait. The sacrifice is all laid out there. It's ready and they stand back. Boom! Fire comes out from the tabernacle and burns it up. And all the people go, yay! You know why? Because if it just sat there and nothing happened, God would be saying, I don't want that. That's not good enough. I'm going to come get you. See? If the fire doesn't burn up the sacrifice, then the fire burns you up. Same thing with this covenant here. The, there's a cutting in this covenant. And the covenant stands for a man and those under his authority. 
his whole household. In the case of Mati'ilu, it's his whole kingdom. And this cutting takes place, and if you're not faithful to the terms of the covenant, the cutting will happen to your neck. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you know the example of Moses. Moses, in Exodus chapter 4, uh, didn't circumcise his son. We won't go into all the details about that. But he hadn't circumcised his son. And then he's heading back into Canaan, uh, into Egypt, to the covenant people, and God meets him in the road, and God's going to kill him. Now, there are two opinions. Some people think God's going to kill Moses. Some people think God was going to kill the kid. Either way, okay? God's going to kill somebody because he, his son was not circumcised. So God took this seriously. Don't break the covenant. So just as there are, there's a promise of blessing for obedience, there's a promise of curse for disobedience. So the authority of the structure, the, the authority structure of the covenant, claims the vassal, the lesser lord, and all those under that vassal's authority. All those under his authority. I can't get away with saying to God, hey God, your covenant's just with me. And, you know, if my child disobeys, that's, that's between you and him, Lord. Doesn't work that way. God holds me responsible for my household. There's no such thing as a covenant that's just between me and God. It, it's God's law for me and my house. Me and my house. God's demands are total. And we are under a curse if we don't subject everything to Him. If I say to God, God, everything I am is yours, but my family over here, that's not. I can't get away with that. God's covenant is with me and my house. Okay, that brings us to the meaning of circumcision. Abram was to circumcise his entire household. Why household circumcision? Because of the nature of the covenant. Because of the nature of the covenant. God's total rule, God's total authority over me and my household. Look at verse 10 to 13. Oh, well, verse 9. God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any stranger who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Now God speaks to all of Israel as if all of Israel is circumcised. The wives were considered circumcised, the, the women were considered circumcised because they one of two things was always true. They were either married to someone who was circumcised or they came from the loins of someone who was circumcised. So the wives, the, the women were considered circumcised. God speaks to the whole people of Israel as they're circumcised. But the circumcision happened to the males. Now it was the household. Now, this doesn't mean that they were all regenerate. Think about this. You've got Abraham circumcising his whole household, 
This doesn't mean just the babies. Abraham was able to field 318 warriors. Scholars feel he had anywhere between 1,000 at, at a very conservative estimate and 3,000 household servants. This is a great big household. Lots of tents. Abraham had a lot of people and every single one there was circumcised. Now what if Abraham bought a slave from say Assyria or someplace there wasn't any Assyria yet but someplace okay but he bought a slave from someplace and the slave didn't speak his language and he has false gods and he's say 50 years old let's just say he circumcises him too because he's under his authority it's household circumcision and this is a much stronger argument, by the way, than just infant circumcision. It's household baptism that I believe in, not simply infant baptism. I'll show you that in a little while. So, the covenant didn't mean that they were all regenerate. The covenant showed Abraham his duties. Abraham is under the rule of God. And everything that belongs to Abraham is consecrated to God. Everything under his authority is consecrated to God. Abraham has the responsibility to apply covenant standards to his whole household. So Abraham goes to this servant and says, you don't worship whatever gods those are anymore. Get rid of them. You belong to the one true God now. You get rid of your false gods and you're circumcised. You have the sign of God's covenant branded into your flesh. Well, what about the guy's heart? Well, we don't know about the guy's heart. We hope that he will come along and understand what, what all is going on here and that under instruction, he will with his whole heart serve the true God. But that's not precisely the issue. The issue is Abraham is the one who's in covenant with God and Abraham has a command from God to subject his whole household to God's authority. That's a different issue. And that household is, is from that moment on responsible to obey God. Responsible to obey God in every area of life. Now, you know, circumcision signified some tremendous things. Circumcision signified union with God. Look at verse 7 again. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So the sign of the covenant symbolizes union with God, doesn't it? Symbolizes union with God. We're told in Romans 4, 11 to 13, that the sign of circumcision symbolized justification by faith. Now, how do you like that? Here's an eight-day-old infant or a 50-year-old slave, whoever, in Abraham's household, getting a sign, a mark, a permanent mark in his flesh that can never be erased, that symbolizes union with, with God, the God of the covenant, and symbolizes justification by faith. You know what else? The Bible says it symbolized regeneration and sanctification. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. 
the, the, the circumcision was a symbol of union with God, justification by faith, regeneration, being born again, and sanctification. Wow! Now, once that's true, God says you have a responsibility to circumcise your hearts. Make sure your heart is circumcised. In other words, make sure that the sign that's external has a corresponding internal reality. That's your responsibility. If you have God's mark on you, if you've been branded, then you better live up to it. Because if you don't live up to it, sorry, but remember Mata'ilu, right? That ram's head gets chopped off. The shoulder gets ripped out. The foot gets stuck in his mouth. And it says, Mata'ilu, if you or any of your people disobey the terms of this covenant, that's what happens. What if somebody way down the line in Mata'ilu's kingdom says, Hey, wait a minute. Nobody asked my opinion of this. I'm getting sworn into a covenant that I didn't even agree to. What if he was asleep when it was going on, right? What if he wasn't born yet? Too bad. His name is still there. It's in the covenant. He belongs. He belongs. And there's nothing he can do about it. That's what the covenant is. See? You know, somebody's feeling sorry for himself. I didn't ask to be born. Well, too bad. There's nothing you can do about it now. And if you're born into a covenant household, the law of God is over that household. Like it or not, you're in it. There's nothing you can do about it. If you were born into Abraham's household, too bad, you're with the true God. Nothing you can do about it. So you better just learn to live with him. Okay? Learn to get along. And obey from your heart the terms of the covenant. Circumcise your hearts. When God baptizes us, he doesn't want us just baptized with water. He wants to baptize our hearts. Right? He wants us baptized by the Spirit. So, there's a promise of blessing, of union with God, justification, regeneration, sanctification, cutting away of sin. The foreskin is cut away. And the sign is, just as that foreskin is cut away, God will cut away sin from you and from your seed. So it's a sign of separation to God. And it's a permanent sign. <coughs> But then there's a threat of curse. Because the curse is, make sure the knife doesn't slip. Make sure you don't slip if the knife is there. And the curse is not just that the sin is cut away, but that the sinner will be cut away from God and his people. Abraham made an oath to God. And he swore to train his house, to raise his house, and rule it according to the covenant. And the threat is, if Abraham is not faithful to that, or if the people under the covenant are not faithful to it, then the symbol becomes reality. And the knife cuts all the way. Now that means that outsiders... 
say somebody's a Moabite outside of the covenant. There's years later, okay? Somebody's a Moabite and he decides he wants to join himself to the covenant people. He comes in. He believes in God. Believes in the true God and he comes into the covenant with Abraham by faith. He comes in and he brings his children, his household, his slaves with him. They all come in and they're circumcised. They receive the covenant sign. So it's still be it's becoming a member of Abraham's household by faith. Two ways to be a member of Abraham's household, aren't there? One way is you get born or bought into it. The other way is you come in by faith and you bring your household in. Those are two ways to get into that covenant. When they come into the covenant, now they have to bring their children and their household, their family into the covenant. Again, the relationship with God is never individualistic. The relationship with God always extends to your household. So that's why the, the sign is applied to the household. The covenant sign is applied to the household because the whole household is under God's authority. Exodus 12 verse 48 says that if a stranger, somebody who's outside the covenant, wants to come in, he, he with his whole family, is to partake of the Passover meal. But they have to be circumcised first. They get the sign of the covenant, and then they come in and partake of the covenant meal. Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That's us. Look down at verse 29. If you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you come into the covenant by faith and you belong to, the, the, to that covenant. You're in the same position, essentially, as some Moabite coming into Abraham's covenant. You come into the covenant and it's a covenant. Because it's a covenant, you bring your family in too. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, we are the true circumcision because we believe in God through Jesus Christ. In uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 29, He is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart. The meaning of baptism, let me bring it down to baptism for just a few minutes. The essential meaning of the covenant has not changed. There's nothing in Scripture that indicates that the meaning of the covenant has changed. The meaning of the covenant still is not individualistic. It's God and a, and a man with his household. Not just a man, okay? God and a woman with her household, all right? But it's the authority figure with those in his authority structure. The covenant has not changed in its essential meaning. The external covenant forms have changed. Baptism replaces circumcision. The signs, the signs of the covenant now are without blood. 
Jesus Christ came and was the definitive bloodshedding on the cross, now there's no more need for a covenant sign that involves blood. See, the old covenant signs involved blood. There was the shedding of blood in circumcision. And there was the shedding of blood in sacrifice, Passover and the other covenant meals. No bloodshed now. So the covenant sign of initiation is now a sign that does not involve bloodshed. It's baptism. The Eucharist replaces Passover and the other covenant meals. Baptism, like circumcision, is the initiation ceremony. How is that? Baptism promises blessing. Baptism symbolizes the washing away of sins, right? Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Be baptized, washing away your sins. Baptism symbolizes regeneration and sanctification. Let me turn a couple places. I won't keep you, keep you turning too much, but Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. In Christ you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's a parenthetical statement. So this, without the parentheses, the statement would read, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, buried with Him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So baptism symbolizes our resurrection from the dead in Christ. Baptism symbolizes regeneration. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 27. Then will I sprinkle... <laughs> well, we won't get into that this morning... <laughs> then will I sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them so baptism symbolizes washing away of sin regeneration, sanctification. Hebrews 10.22 Let us now draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's talking about baptism there. Baptism signifying the washing away of sins, regeneration, the new birth. So baptism promises blessing. And sometimes we get confused because that's the only thing we see. Baptism symbolizes blessing. So how can you apply baptism, the symbol of blessing, to a kid who doesn't know what's going on? Right? The question always is, how can you apply circumcision to a child who didn't know what's going on? Any argument against household baptism seems to me to be an argument against household circumcision. And the household in the Old Testament was circumcised. The household in the New Covenant can be baptized. Now, the problem though is that we look at baptism and we see blessing. It's a symbol of regeneration. It's a symbol of washing away of sins. How can that be true of a child? The issue is the covenant. And the child is in the covenant and comes into the covenant on the authority of the structure that's above him. 
But baptism doesn't just symbolize blessing. Baptism threatens a curse. Because just like circumcision symbolized the cutting away of sin from the, from the individual, right? But it also symbolized the cutting away of the sinner. Similarly, baptism symbolizes the washing away of our sins. Unless we're not faithful to the covenant. And if we're not faithful to the covenant, baptism shows the washing away of the sinner from God and His people. Baptism is a symbol of death by drowning. It is. That, of course, some people feel that's a good argument for immersion. You know, I won't argue with that. Uh, I, I've sometimes felt that a, that a good way to baptize would maybe be turning a shower on somebody. Um, but, you know, and something really shows a flood. But look, baptism in the New Testament is compared to two great events. One of them, 1 Peter 3, we'll look at it a little bit tonight. One of those is the flood. And Noah and his family were baptized. Not immersed. <laughs> Look who got immersed. <laughs> right? They got maybe sprinkled through the window. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I wasn't going to preach on that. Now, Noah and his family were baptized in the flood. And that baptism saved them, Peter says. The other example is in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, and it says that the people of Israel were baptized into Moses through crossing the Red Sea. Again, you might notice who got immersed. But we won't get into that. <laughs> they may have gotten a little spray, right? <laughs> uh, so they were baptized through the Red Sea. So baptism, it was good for, for some of them, but for the others, it was a curse. Right? They got drowned. Baptism is a symbol of death by drowning. And the thing is, the great thing about it is, the, the thing that's the blessing is, that it's only a symbol. Right? It happens to us symbolically. Just like everybody cheers when the sacrifice gets burned up, because they know it won't happen to them. The symbol gets taken instead of me. In baptism, I symbolically undergo a death by drowning. But I live. But the threat is, if you're not faithful to my covenant, you're going to be on the other side of that. You're going to get drowned with the unbelieving world in Noah's day. You're going to get drowned with Pharaoh and his soldiers. Which side of the covenant are you on? And if you're on one side of the covenant, it's okay. You receive drowning in symbol. But if you're on the other side, the drowning is in terrible reality. J.H. Thornwell put it this way, talking about the blessings of those who are baptized. Listen to this. This is what, a, what the position of a covenant child. The vows of God are upon them. They have been consecrated to the Lord. And when they pervert their faculties and strength to the service of themselves or the world, they are guilty of a more aggravated profaneness than could ever have been imputed to the Jew if he had gone into the temple and taken the vessels of the sanctuary and perverted them to his private use. To this must be added the enormity of guilt which they contract by unbelief. They cannot sin like other sinners. They cannot be exalted to heaven and then expect a gentle fall. 
Beyond controversy, it is a great privilege to be a member of the visible church. And beyond controversy, the despising of such a birthright is no common crime. See? We're not saying that a child who is baptized is assured of eternal life. That's a great, terrible mistake. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Baptism is no guarantee of eternal life any more than circumcision was in the Old Testament. Baptism is the mark of a covenant. It says, be faithful to this covenant or be washed away. So, household baptism. We find household baptisms taking place in the New Testament, and this will be real quick. The covenant means the same. The sign means the same. And so Christians apply the sign of, of the covenant to their household. As Peter said on the day of Pentecost, the, the covenant, the promise is to you and to your children. In Acts chapter 16, notice this. Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. A certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So Paul preached, she believed the gospel. And then it says, very next verse, And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she constrained us. Lydia believed she and her household were baptized. Same chapter, over in verse 33, the Philippian jailer believes. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The Philippian jailer believed and he and his family were baptized. Now some people would say, now wait a minute, I don't see any infants there. Good question. Good question. That's a brilliant question. I don't see any infants there. Show me one infant that gets baptized in the New Testament. And I'm happy to say I can't show of any. There's no example that I know of that clearly says an infant is baptized in the New Testament. I rest my case... You know why? Let's say, let's say there are no infants in Lydia's household and no infants in the Philippian jailer's household. There's only, say, the jailer's 17-year-old son and his 35-year-old wife and his 65-year-old retired slave who worships somebody. No infants, just adults, responsible adults or near adults that belong to his household. And the jailer is converted and his household is baptized. You know what? That's tougher to take than an infant, isn't it? What if his 17-year-old son says, hey, wait a minute, who asked me? And dad says, you're in this house, aren't you? You're a member of this household, aren't you? That settles it. You're in the covenant. What if the slave doesn't even speak their language? Worship some crazy god he got from somewhere. They throw it out. Sorry. You're in the covenant. And you take the covenant sign. God makes total demands on us. We are required to exercise godly rule over our households. We're required to train our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we place our children 
under the sign of curse and blessing, consecrating them to the Lord, confessing that Christ underwent the curse in our place in this terrible reality. Christ was cut off. Christ was washed away in our place so that we can undergo this death in symbol and be resurrected to life in Christ. Now, what I'm not going to do is give an altar call and have all the babies come up. Uh, I promise. Um, and like I said, you know, for one thing, I know that, that uh, you're studying these issues of the covenant, and I know that, that in my case anyway, uh, it was a, a great deal of thought and struggle, and I don't presume any less of your intelligence than of my own. Uh, I do urge you to think about these issues, and to read, and to study, and pray. Let's stand together for prayer. One of the points that we're going through baptism that if we were to build a Reformed church, can we get along if we have different convictions on this? And not just get along like, you know, we won't be angry with Tolerate. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, like, see one another as having a legitimate biblical position that they're holding on to, even if it's not the conviction that we hold. Maybe similar to, like, what you'd find in, like, a, in your eschatology. We have different of opinions, but we're not going to look at each other's convictions and say, well... Yeah, you just that's just vestigial Roman Catholicism, you know, or you know, I believe the Bible, you know, what do you believe? Uh, I think that's kind of that's one that's one point. And the other thing is that at this table, we all believe the Bible, we all trust the Bible. And so if someone didn't trust the Bible, this is not the most important thing we have to talk about. <laughs> we have far more important things to talk about than baptism mm. if someone is not right here, right now. But we're not. But that's not us. We we all are coming from a place of common ground. Um, with that being said, I just don't want anybody to feel like okay, everybody's convinced, right? <laughs> uh, with that being said, uh, did anybody have any um, thoughts or comments on Mr. Chilton's lecture or sermon? You're all. Chowing down on scones. <laughs> These are delicious. By the way, I uh, I would love to hear a little more about the jump from circumcision to baptism mm -hmm. as the new sign of the new covenant of the new covenant. I feel like he, he he threw out a couple verses, but for me it was just a little bit of a jump. Yeah. That I would love to see a little more laid out in scripture, like, okay, yes, baptism is taking the place of circumcision. You said that pretty clearly. And I wrote down in my notes, where is that clearly stated in scripture? I'd love to see it. He probably was running out of time and going fast, but <laughs> Right. Um, but if I could answer for him, I think he probably I was was referring to Colossians two, eleven through twelve. Mm -hmm. uh, in him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now that, that's just one that's connecting baptism and circumcision. Um, if we can all agree that 
circumcision was the sign of the covenant. Right. What we really need to talk about is, does do we, as New Testament Christians, do we have a sign of the covenant? Do we? Um, I would, of course, argue that it's baptism, but maybe, maybe we think that there's something else. Or maybe we think there is no sign of the covenant any longer. That was an old covenant thing. Well, that verse you just read, <laughs> call me crazy if you want to, but it could, could it be that that's not talking about water baptism, but that's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens when we're regenerate. I think there's a lot of confusion about baptism because there's verses, I believe, in the New Testament that when it says baptism, it's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about the actual inward reality that water baptism symbolizes. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of confusion about because, and that's, that's why I think a lot of people think that, and there's definitely been stances where people say, you are not in this church unless you're baptized. I mean, I, I need to see that. And, and that's, of course, real dangerous water if you're saying you've right. got to be baptized in order to be saved. I mean, that's... that's Bordered on her- heresy, in my opinion, <laughs> you've yeah. got it. There's some work that's going to establish your salvation. Yeah. So I think that's where I would go with that verse. Is that mm-hmm. I think the the sign of the covenant now is not there's not an outward sign anymore. Mm. But the sign of the covenant is that you've been in this baptism that you've joined with Christ in death and it has been resurrected. We couldn't have that before because Christ. I mean, definitely the Old Testament looks head, looks ahead to that. I mean. Um, how is, that a, how is that a sign, though? I, I mean, because we... I, one of the questions I have on here is, number five, what does baptism mean? What is, what is it a sign of? Yeah. Um, and the one we're all familiar with is C, an outward sign of an inward reality. Right. That's the, right. That's the classic Baptist yeah. um, definition for what baptism is. Sure. So they're, Baptists are considering baptism a sign of something. Right. What is it a sign of? Of the inward reality, yeah. That the, the you, have, you have been, you've joined with Christ in death and you've been resurrected and therefore you are part of the covenant. That, but that's I physical think even, baptism right there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, what, yeah, what I'm saying is physical baptism and circumcision are looking ahead to or be, are back to the, the death and resurrection of Christ and that when we're, we couldn't join in with that. Uh, the Old Testament couldn't join in with that, you know, real time. But they were looking ahead to that. That there's our, every all salvation comes from Christ's work upon the cross, whether it was for the people before him or mm-hmm. after that. So when we're talking about circumcision, that's a outward sign, looking ahead to what Christ is going to do to our hearts. He's going to, he's going to circumcise our hearts, and so the the cutting of the skin is looking right. ahead to the. Would you say that that? that circumcision is an outward sign only of some future reality that's not yet present? Or is it a is it an outward sign of a covenantal reality? For sure, yeah. I would say both, yeah. Okay. And, and I would say the same thing about the water baptism, that it is a covenantal sign, but it's not, I guess I would say, not the covenantal sign. I don't know if that's fair to say. I mean, it's not, you know. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of churches that say speaking in tongues is the in a sense, they wouldn't yeah. say covenantal, but I mean, they kind of use that same, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I think I get real, I guess I just get real leery of saying, that's the sign, you know. Um, but it was in the old, old covenant, that was the sign. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Gotcha. I mean, I'm not arguing with you, I was just trying to understand what you're saying there in terms of, so in the old covenant, we had a visible sign. 
in the new covenant, we don't have a visible sign any longer. Water baptism is something, but it's not a visible sign. Right. Gotcha. No, I wouldn't say it's not a visible sign. I mean, it's that, that, that's, uh, in a lot of cases, the water baptism is, in most cases, the water baptism is either the parents saying, this is a sign, my kids are a part of this covenant, mm-hmm. or it's the individual stand up saying, I'm a part of the covenant. I've joined, I mean, and again, they don't always use that language because right. they're not necessarily covenantal thinking, you know. But I think it's, it's definitely is uh, a sign of what's actually happened and, in, and I think in infant, and, and I'm happy with both. In infant baptism, you're looking ahead, possibly, or maybe it's already happened. I don't know. I mean, I, we don't know when the actual, you know, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit baptized. It may happen as they come out of the womb, or maybe mm-hmm. it happens sometime. I don't know. I mean, that's an in, inverse spiritual, you know, spiritual reality that I don't know about. But it's either looking forward to it, and the parents are declaring that this is going to happen, or it has already happened. Or it's me standing up and saying, "It has happened to me. This is a, this is an outward yeah. sign of what's already happened to me." Yeah. So, I think they're both equally good signs, you know. Right. In a sense, are true signs. I just thought of some. Just I yeah. never really thought about this before, but <clears throat> Jesus didn't get baptized until he came out publicly in his ministry. Uh, and obviously, there's a lot going on there. Jesus' <laughs> baptism. But I just is curious that he would have waited. Till that point, um, you know, we know at twelve he was in the temple, mm-hmm. hanging out and preaching and answering questions and asking questions and saying, "I'm in my father's house." Mm. He knew his identity at that point. And he was certainly circumcised as an infant. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I don't know. Just, yeah, I don't know if that has any. Well, that's kind of the uh, conversation. Yeah, it. that's where the mm-hmm. two signs come together, sort of. Right. I mean, Spirit. when Christ was born, it was still. Under the old covenant, sure. I mean, sorry, I mean, so it's it's like that's a transitional period. So mm. I mean, I think there's a definitely some. Yeah. That's not even the same type of baptism. That was the baptism of repentance that John the Baptist was performing. And then, if you looked further into the New Testament, when Apollos was mistakenly, uh, because he didn't really catch on to the further revelation or any understanding of the scriptures from Priscilla and Aquila, he was still kind of baptizing the baptism of repentance. Hmm. Um, And you know where I stand on this, Joseph. I'm not here to battle against uh, my disagreement (laughs) with what he has to say. Because this whole baptism thing is not uninteresting. Sure. Is not unimportant. Um, right. But it's a little different for me to, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to work with people that have a few mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're uncovering right now. Right? Yeah, but, but, you know, once again, just maybe my opinion, but, but there's no way that, that that is not the same baptism as believers came along. Mm. And, um, but even that baptism of repentance was, why did he reject the Pharisees? He rejected them because what they knew in their hearts was like, hey, why are you guys coming out here to be baptized? You know in your hearts you're a brood of vipers and mm-hmm. you're not coming out here for the real reason. Yeah. So it wasn't just a matter of let's just do this because right. maybe later on you'll come around and figure it out. Yeah. So there's always that, you know, I'm a credo person in the sense that right. um, 
And then I'll just say one la last thing. But I, you, I, you said you're a credo person in the sense that in the credo, in the sense that I, you you come to believe, yeah, oh. and then you show your believing by being baptized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. And I just see that as very clear in the New Testament. Whereas when he talks about the Philippian jailer and he talks about uh, um, Lydia, Lydia. Uh, in their household, and, and that those are good, but on the other hand, you don't know what took place in that household. Maybe everybody in there is going, this is absolutely fantastic, That's all and they all want to be baptized, and maybe there's none of the stuff going on where people are going, I don't know what the heck is happening here, mm -hmm. but if you say I need to be baptized, I will be. Could be, yeah. could be either way, right. but the scriptures are really clear on many portions in the New Testament of, ah, uh, can I stop here? And the Ethiopian says, and be baptized, he understands finally. I know what's going on, and mm -hmm. Isaiah, I'm catching on, I want to do that. Yeah. So those are good examples, too. I don't know that it closes the case, but... Uh, right. I appreciated that, that Mr. Chilton did a... I felt that he did a good job of saying And just for clarification, neither circumcision physically or baptism... Um, are a saving thing. Like right. you can be baptized or circumcised and not be saved. Sure. I mean, how many people wandering in the in the desert with with Moses, you know, were circumcised and weren't saved? They lacked mm. faith. And you know, I, I appreciated that he, he touched on that a little bit. Like this is a thing that, that it's symbolic, but it's not a saving. You know. Um, right. So yeah, I think very much like what you were saying with the, the Philippian jailer and stuff. I like, guess their household could have all been circumcised, but that doesn't mean they were all... Or baptized. Or we are... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> There's a or little difference it, Or there. is it? Or is it? <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's, uh, it, it, it seems like... Um, it, it seems like we all... No, nobody here has a problem with thinking that um, Israelite infants were born into the covenant. Um, they they were so so. How do you get into the covenant? Well, you're either grafted in, or you grow in. You know, you you, yeah. uh, you you sprout like a like Psalm 128, like an olive plant sprouts off of the one tree. Um, that's one way you get in, or you get grafted in. And so it seems like the New Testament is more a narrative of a bunch of grafting going on, and arguments from silence are. They're, they're what they're worth. But it's still an argument from silence to say that if something fundamentally had changed with kids born into the covenant, um, like now they're not born into the covenant anymore. Now everybody comes in individually. God no longer works with households anymore. He no longer works with, with, um, with heads of household. That seems like that would be an important thing to tell us. God can, you know, that's, that by itself is not, a, is, is not an argument yeah. enough to to persuade anybody but it seems like what's going on there there's a big there's a big bit of silence in regards to our children are we supposed to assume something or are we supposed to assume the other thing because we're assuming something one way or the other we're assuming they're right. either not in and they have to come up to a point where they can understand and then they get the sign of the covenant or we're assuming that they are already in and they get baptized in and then they get trained up in the fear and admonition of the Lord but, it, but, the, but the baptism is not tied to time to when they give a, right. give a, give a um, right. you know, testimony. It could be semantics to some extent, but I, I struggle with the new covenant 
being separated from regeneration. And just, you know, in some of the passages he even, you know, brings, you know, refer to that. And then, you know, Jeremiah 31, uh, 31, Behold, the days come with the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with the fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God. And they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And I, I, I see it, uh, you know, it's like the scripture that says that an unbelieving spouse is sanctified mm-hmm. because of their pro- and I believe that there's a there's a set apart and there's a, a blessing and a covering uh, growing up in in a Christian household, and I fully expect each of my children. I mean, I, I expect it. In fact, I pray, assuming that they'll either like me never really remember a day I, I believed in God as early as I could ever think about it. Mm-hmm. Although there was a day that I became a lot more familiar with them. <laughs> but I've also had children that had, you know, more of a crisis uh, experience. But, you know, being an inward covenant, uh, the new covenant, I think, I think they're the external blessings and the external, but the inward realities of the new covenant, I have a hard time seeing how, you know, that's just conferred by being in the household. Do you think that's what he was arguing for? Well, I, I guess I, I, I uh, it, again, it could be semantics. So him saying that you do, you just baptize them because there's a covenant and they're under the covenant. Uh, but if it's an if it's an inward covenant, and uh, you know, there's lots of people that believe in God, believe in Jesus, hmm. yeah, but they don't know Him. And, and co- the covenant, as I see the new covenant, is, is knowing God. And, you know, in the, in the old covenant, it's primarily um, outward blessings and outward obedience. And the primary being the new covenant being an inward reality. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get a, necessarily a, uh, my crops do well and have, you know, 20 kids and health and beat up my enemies. Those those. Outward blessings no longer apply in the new covenant, but I, I, I get to know God personally. Uh, I get to the fruit of the Spirit, and I see those as the signs of the covenant that um, I, you know a child in my household that that doesn't know God hasn't been born again that they can't experience those new covenant realities until they themselves have have embraced Christ as mm. Lord. So you're connecting being a part of the new covenant with regeneration. Those are one and the same. I have a hard time separating those things. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you, BJ, do you think that um, in the, 
the picture of the salvation of your life. Yeah. Um, so do you feel like there is a, a sense in which uh, a believer has eternal security? So like when he is, those who are found in Christ will be, will remain in Christ? Or do you feel like that's, you can be in the covenant, yeah. but then you can also kind of turn away from the covenant? I know it's a big question, but it... Yeah, I, I think there's an element of mystery to that. And, sure. uh, you know, obviously that the, the general rule, it's like the general rule to grow up in a, in a, in a truly God-honoring home is that child's going to follow mm-hmm. God all the days of their life. Right. Um, but I, I don't know that I could leave out, just like in the old covenant, you could be cut off. I don't mm-hmm. know that I could remove all possibility, you know, with all the warnings, you know, to remain in the faith. I, so with, with, these, with uh, the patriarchs of old, Abraham, Moses, uh, Noah, David, yeah. were they, will they be in heaven? Will we meet them in heaven? Oh, absolutely. So, so they, but were, will they be in heaven because of their outward works? And the outward sign of the covenant? Well, I think faith and faithfulness is is the mark of the covenant, both new and old. Yeah. You know, faith, and, and I don't think you can separate faith and faithfulness. Those yeah. go hand in hand. And you know, Abraham believed God; it was mm-hmm. credited to him as righteousness. And that mm-hmm. faith, you know, it wasn't perfect in it, but that faith, um, it had it had feet, yeah. and it led yeah. to him doing things differently because of that faith. Right. And so James echoes that. In his, yeah. You know, when you look at um, uh, Deuteronomy, a lot of it, you know, one, two, three, four, and Moses is recounting the end of the 40 years of wandering in the, and, and not even Moses is going to be able to cross over the Jordan and get into the promised land. But Joshua, Caleb, and that younger generation is. And kind of in support of what, um, what's the guy's name again here? David Chilton, David Chilton. David, yeah, I mean, I uh, understand. Because I, I, I think that the Old Testament, may, I don't think I'm going against what you've said, but I'm thinking the Old Testament, there was a bunch of just you... Um, get physical blessings because you're disobedient. I mean, I mean, they're just saying here, look, at when you guys go in here, Moses is saying, let me re-go over this. God's telling them, go over all the statutes and all the commands and all the things that are important in obedience because these people are going to have a short memory and they're going to... Yeah. And, and then what happens to them is that when they do wander away, uh, not that far down the road, right. and for some reason we want to go worship other things and do strange things. I mean, he's just saying, remind them. Remind them of what a great God you have, yeah. that you have. Remind them of who got them out of Egypt. Teach them these statutes. Teach your kids these statutes. Your grandkids, mm-hmm. uh, he's saying, teach them those also. So it's a, there's a high level of importance on teaching Absolutely, and and them grasping that and going, yes, that's great. I believe that, and I think that's taking place tremendously out to there too. Um, right. So I'm not trying to take away from that at all and say it was. Yeah. It was and if I, I mean, going off what you both are saying there, I would say I, I brought a couple books in. One's to a thousand generations. Um, and one is Why Baptize Babies. Both of these are good because they're written to Credo Baptists. 
more as arguments for why what a Pedro Baptist would believe or what a household Baptist person believes is not something other than grounded in biblical scripture. Yeah. So it's kind of like this is based out of biblical conviction. Um, and one of the arguments that Wilson makes, this is Doug Wilson, 2000 Generations, in just chapter 2 is he's got a, he's got a chapter called Moses Was a Christian. And his argument in the, in the chapter uh, is that Moses trusted in Jesus just the way we do. Moses didn't know Jesus' name the way we do. So we have covenantal blessings that he doesn't have, or we have New Testament blessings that he doesn't have because we get to learn about and read about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. But Moses was trusting in him, and, and Noah was too. And in fact, all the way in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus was foretold. He was prophesied. Yeah. And so all of the patriarchs and the matriarchs of old were trusting in Jesus. And that's that whole, that's like the big part of covenant theology is that this whole story has been one long connection to Christ, looking forward to Christ in the Old Testament. And now we look kind of back, but also to Christ the King now. Amen. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where the idea of being in the new covenant doesn't, to me, doesn't necessarily coincide with a regenerate heart always. Because we know that we can baptize, we can do a credo-baptism, we can baptize based off of the profession of faith, and it can be untrue. They can be a lie. The guy, the guy or gal can be lying about what they think, or they can fall away, or they can never, you know, they're the seed that was planted in the rocks, or the, or the birds picked up. You know, they never, they never get off the ground. And so is that baptism a lie? No, I don't think the baptism is a lie. The baptism spoke truth, truthfully. It brought them into the covenant. Unfortunately, because they didn't persevere, their curses are now bigger than the person that never came to begin with. And that's where I see the idea of being one of God's covenant people for those who are elect, for those who are, just we use terminology we can all agree on, for those who are regenerate, born again, there are no curses to be able, that you won't experience any of the curses of God. Amen. But for those who are in the covenant but are not born again, that's, those are the ones who, who um, we talked about this two weeks ago, Hebrews 6, those are the ones who have tasted the goodness of Jesus and have fallen away and, and they are worse off than they ever were before. Um, they're, they're not believers losing their salvation. They're people who are in the covenant who are, who are taking part of God's blessing, but not with believing faith, not with saving faith. And so therefore they come under the condemnation of the covenant. So I guess I would say also just kind of going along with what BJ is saying is that um, when I say the old, the old covenant and the new covenant, it's not like they're completely different. Mm -hmm. The old covenant, for lack of a better word, is a failed attempt at, and not failed because God messed up. What I'm saying is that God set this up as, here's the covenant. I'm, I'm blessing you, but um, you've got to follow these rules. You've got, to, you know, you've, got to, you've got to be essentially perfect. And so there's a lifetime of Israel being established that this doesn't work. The law is the only way to me right now through the sacrificial system and through a lifetime of Israel, they were, they were, it was shown that it doesn't work. <laughs> it became firmly established that I cannot attain God through this system. It doesn't work. And so the, new, so the Old Testament, the old co I mean the Old Covenant, 
is looking ahead to the new covenant. And so really the intent of the old covenant was to, to change their heart, to, to, to make a difference. And I mean, it wasn't really, the, the intention wasn't to, let's create a bunch of rules that we can follow really closely and kill a bunch of animals. And that's really the intent of it. The, the intent was that through this, that your heart needs to be changed, but clearly it doesn't change your heart. So there, there's something else that's needed. And in, in come the New Testament, or the New Covenant. And I mean, that's chapters 5 through 8 of Hebrews sure, is, is sure. laying that out, that it's a, it's a covenant that didn't work. I mean, it's, a, it's, the working, it's the workings that didn't work. It was pointing ahead all the time. We need a different way for this to be brought in, and, and that's Christ's death. And that's why I say it all. Look, I mean, there is a, yeah. there is a Jewish um, baptism, too. They would, they would baptize, new, baptize new Jews because of a lot of the Jews look back as that trip through the Red Sea as an as a act of salvation. I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's, they were saved out of Israel just like we are saved out of sin, you know? Um, and so they would, um, and I don't know if it was everyone got this, but a lot, I think the new converts to Judaism would, would be circumcised and receive that baptism. Um, and yeah, he, he mentioned in, that in, in fact, that. in fact, there was baptisms all throughout the Old Testament, just right. like there were meals all throughout the Old Testament. So right. when we say baptism is the new circumcision, what we really mean is that baptism, that's why we don't have to circumcise anymore, because now baptism is the sign of God's people. But Paul tells us that there's now one washing, there's one baptism, because before there was right. a lot, there's all sorts of different ones. Now we have one baptism and we have one meal. That before there was all kinds of feasts, there was all kinds of sacrifices. We have one sacrifice, we have one washing, we have one meal. See, and that's where I'd say the one washing is the baptism of the Spirit, not the water baptism. When Paul says there's one baptism. There's oh, one well, here, here's, this would be maybe a good question to ask then. Um, I've only heard of one denomination that does not believe that baptism is a requirement. Not, not a requirement for salvation, but is necessary, meaning because Jesus commanded it to be done. Absolutely. And, and, and so, therefore, we ought to do it. Um, do we all believe that baptism is necessary, not unto salvation, not to, not the grace doesn't, or the water doesn't go on and the grace come in. That's not what we believe. But do we all believe that it's necessary, like it's something that should happen in a Christian's life? Yeah, I, I would say, and even... I'm not saying it's salvation, but I, I, that's one of the things. I, I think we're too cavalier in the mm -hmm. average non <clears throat> about baptism. I mean, this is a very weighty thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think we miss some things sometimes. Right. In saying that it's, it's not, oh, it doesn't affect your salvation, but it, we almost make it as optional as you know, tithing or something, or, right. or something that is way less weighty than... Uh, I 100% yeah. I actually agree with what you're saying. In fact, I can't find one instance in the Bible or early church history that someone could take communion without having been baptized first, which actually may be a something of a case for, uh, you know, baptism as a, at a younger age than I... Typically familiar. Sure. Yeah, I I would actually argue that uh, just as circumcision was a ticket to the feast, just like we read in Exodus, if if the stranger comes in and he wants to partake of the Passover, first thing he's got to do is got to get the sign of the covenant, him and his whole household, and then he can come to the meal. 
I, I would agree. I would agree. If you're, if you're coming to the Lord's table, it needs to, baptism is your wedding ring to the marriage bed. It's, it's, your, it's the reason why you're allowed there. So my question is, if baptism is necessary... So, wait, so, would that, so, that, so would you have trouble with someone in your church taking communion if they hadn't been baptized? Um, that would be that would be a good question to ask Dave next week because my guess I think I no, I'm talking I mean your church yeah well <laughs> not the, no, I mean, a church that you're a part of but sure, that would that yeah. be troublesome to you to the only reason why I, I didn't I wasn't trying to deflect the question as much as I was because I definitely have an opinion on it <laughs> um, I was more I was more trying to say like um, the the denomination has their convictions on it. Um, and if a denomination that was overseeing the church didn't have a conviction on that, I can set aside my own convictions for the spirit of, in the spirit of unity if other people aren't following those convictions. Mm-hmm. The conviction I've always um, the, the conviction that I've always held is that baptism is the ticket to the feast. That's how you get to come to the Lord's Supper is because you you have his name on your head and that's baptism is him putting his name on your head saying, you belong to me. Yes, the Holy Spirit either has indwelled you or will indwell you, but right now your name is Christian. That's why you have your Christian name at your baptism. Um, yeah, I agree with that, but then, you know, you a man ought to examine himself. Mm-hmm. And so, again, that's that struggle, you know, yeah. if I'm having my, in, in the, you know, that scripture speaks of, great curses we can bring on ourselves mm. by not, you know, examining oneself, which, you know, begs that question, is a, is a child in a position to truly examine themselves, um, you know, at, at what age? Mm. Uh, so, What do you, what would you do with, um, when, when uh, Jesus talks about uh, the little ones coming right to forbid being, them not yeah. well in that, that this, the kingdom of God is made up of such as these this is the kind of faith that is found in the kingdom of God yeah. I, I'm not saying that that is the end all be all argument but it seems <laughs> like he's one Jesus talks about the least of these and so yeah. are the least of these you know who are the least yeah. of these um, I think that that's hard it's hard to not see the gospel in a little one who has no intellectual capacity because that is what is faith is faith a certain level of intellect do you have to have a certain IQ to 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 have faith right. if you are if you have a mental disability and you uh, I mean can you ever be a Christian can you ever take the Lord's Supper if yeah. you can't examine yourself these are these are sure they, they matter that they're also you know there's lots of room for liberty and for um, and we actually, I, I've got on the list to talk about communion at another, you know, so we can continue, right, yeah, no, no, we can continue right. talking about communion, but I actually want to devote a whole discussion just to communion, because that's a big thing. We're starting with baptism, because I think baptism is the sign that you are visibly entering the, the new covenant, because we can't see the Holy Spirit working. We can see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but even then, man, is, man can only judge the outside. He can't judge the heart. And so... I trust that you have the, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit in you um, because I know I see your fruit. But at the same time, I don't know your heart. Only God knows your heart. And so I don't see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as, as that being able to be a sign as a part of the visible church. It's, it's, a, it's certainly a sign to God of your regeneration, but a sign to, be, to be present in the visible church 
is to have something visibly publicly done. And or regeneration is it, doesn't is not that's not what regeneration or is. It, is. Or is it um, producing fruit, which is I mean, Jesus talks about a lot that his people produce fruit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just get real leery about it. I, even your phrase ticket to the feast makes me really uneasy mm. because I, I do I mean I really talking about handling the feast, um, I mean if I'm standing over someone saying, Nope, you're not ready to come to Jesus right now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm setting that standard. I don't. I don't see a, a strong that, perspective. That's really not the, what's on the table, little fat. I mean, on the table is this: um, Charles becomes a believer because he's going. This I like this. Okay. Yeah. And then basically the scriptures are real clear. It says become a believer and get baptized. So if he doesn't get baptized, he's in disobedience, but it doesn't mean he's not a believer necessarily. Should he go to the table? I think those are debatable for mm. weeks. Yeah. Um, but but that's where the end, I mean, you're the one that's leery of, of uh, adding things to salvation. And so there's many people that are disobedient in, in things, but that's very clear. Mm. If you don't get baptized, at least as a believer, then you're just ignoring what it's talking about in Matthew mm. 28. I mean, so you should just do it. What what does that deny you of if you don't? I don't know. I guess we could debate about that for a long time. But mm. but uh, that that's clearly where that would go as far as the infant baptism or which yeah. whatever. I don't know sure. what to say about that. I don't mean to dismiss it like it doesn't count. But, uh, right. Yeah, like one of the things that um, I'm not sure I understood what you said. <laughs> but it's pretty. Or if you were responding, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty. <laughs> you got right over my head. Yeah. <laughs> that was BJ. BJ will explain it to me later. Um, do do we have not to totally change the subject? Because I I think I like I like what both of you guys are saying, and these are I I think repeating. If I could just reemphasize what Chilton was saying, it's like. Nobody's come into this in five minutes. It's like this takes right. lots of time, and, and my hope, my hope is is that you know if anybody wants one of these books, you guys can borrow, or, or I'm going to post his other talk as well later on this week. Um, but if anything happens, just think about these things and develop like a biblically sound position. I really either way. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. I want to influence people to 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 share the same convictions that I have. But I don't want anybody to just follow my convictions. I, I want them to follow what, what Scripture is saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the idea of, um, of sacraments, we're, we're Protestants, we see two sacraments. We see baptism and the Lord's Supper as sacraments. That's, that's been around for over 500 years now. We don't see marriage as a sacrament. We don't see penance as a sacrament. We don't, I mean, those other ones that the Catholic Church holds on to, we, we just... We, they might be blessings, but they're not like sacraments. Like <laughs> yeah. Um, so our view on the, the sacraments matter because you know there's a reason why Baptists go one way, Presbyterians go the other way, because Baptists oftentimes will look at the way a Presbyterian looks at this and will say, well, that's it's unbiblical. It's they're illegitimate baptisms. You need to rebaptize them. And if that's the conviction, then that's important to know. If that's anybody's conviction, that's important right. to know. Just in the same way as if I was to say, oh, you haven't baptized your babies, oh, you're a heretic and your kids are on the verge of hell, that would be wrong as well. 
um, because that wouldn't be true. That wouldn't be biblically that wouldn't be biblically based. Um, I, one of the questions I did want to kind of pose as we kind of uh, maybe wrap up because I know we're not getting all my questions. Of course, <laughs> I didn't think we would. Um, do we? Uh, I wanted to look at verse or not verse. Uh, uh, question number seven. What is the status change, if any, that happens during baptism? Do we think that there's any change in status? It, or, or maybe the question could be, what is baptism doing? What happens when we're baptized? I always kind of viewed it as like a, a testimony of, of uh, having been raised in a Baptist Sure. Church, yeah. very much as a as like a testimony of what you're 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 making an outward statement to the witnesses thereof that I am. This is what I believe. Mm. I have faith in Christ, mm. and I'm doing this so that you all are aware of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm very familiar with that for sure. That was when I got baptized. That was that was. Mm. I have decided to follow Jesus. That's what it is. I'm I'm publicly doing this. Yeah. Anybody else have any any thoughts? Well, you got that shirt too. I had made you wear. Yeah, I love that shirt. <laughs> I got baptized. Yeah. No, it said I've decided to follow Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. I mean, I remember it well, and and, and and that's a it's a blessing. My grandpa, my grandpa was the one that baptized me, and oh, I have okay. I have very I have fond memories of it, and and yeah. I don't wish it to be any different. Um, my kids won't ever have those memories though, because. I've bat- they've all been baptized based off of the this idea, the idea that baptism is signifying, if not if not that, then at least in addition to that, something else. Hmm. Um, and my proof text here, or the the text that I att- attach to uh, question number seven, is Galatians three twenty seven. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So when you are baptized, you're putting on Jesus. It's like there's a there's a sense in which you are putting on Christ. Uh, now that's that's metaphoric language, of course, because Christ is physical. He's physically reigning in heaven right now. So we're. So when we talk about putting on Christ, we're talking about the metaphor of putting on the righteousness of Christ. We're putting on the, um, the faithfulness of Christ. Christ's faithfulness is imputed to us. And so um, the status change, I think that happens at baptism, is that you become a visible member of the church. You, vi- you visibly have put on Christ. Uh, I tell my kids, Jesus put his name on your forehead. You're not your own anymore. You belong to Jesus, and because you belong to Jesus, this is how you are to walk. You know, it's kind of like you were saying, Spencer, you've, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm publicly making this known to everybody, and now my life had better look different. <laughs> you know, not, not just because, because my, my name's on the line, but because Christ's name is on the line. I've put on Christ, and now my life had better look different because of that. Yeah. As Andrew was saying, you know, I, and I, uh, there's a, an older gentleman that I know in Centralia here. And, and after he'd gotten saved, he wished to be baptized right away. And the, the minister, well, we'll just kind of check, check on you for a little while. <laughs> and he got kind of discouraged with that mm. and, and ended up uh, backsliding. And, and uh, anyways, he came 
came to faith later on, but you know, I think there's a sense in baptism, you know, just like uh, the relationship with Egypt was no more after mm-hmm. the children of Israel were baptized mm-hmm. in the Red Sea. Right. There was Amen. a cutting of ties. Yeah. And I think there is something in the spiritual realm too, um, in baptism, that just it declares something in realms that are seen and unseen by human eyes. Uh, that that there is, a, you know, I belong. I belong to this world now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say that along with Spencer, that that water baptism is declaring that that happened. I don't believe that it happens in the water baptism. That's I, that's why I went like that because I would agree with that. I think the baptism of Christ is something that happens outside of physical water baptism because mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why I can't get this example in my head, but um, let's go to the the um, the guy on the cross next to Jesus. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. I think we think that he gets saved. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I don't know how to interpret Jesus. Jesus said he didn't. Yeah, like Christ said, "I'll see you later." <laughs> more or less, <laughs> right? So somehow he's, he's baptized. He's on clothed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he's clothed in Christ. Yeah, in you're, right. you're right. You're yeah. right. Somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's not an argument to say, "Well, then don't get baptized." It's not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But I think I would look at this scripture here and say that being baptized into Christ is, I think that Thad, you had said this before, that it's, it, there's something truly going on there that's at the core of who we are in heaven before God, God, Jesus, righteousness is imputed to us and it's Densky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, Frank, there's an obedience that needs to happen and part of that obedience is getting baptized if you're able to and you're not dying on the cross in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right? Um... Yeah, I don't know if I have anything else. Well, I, I think good, I think that's a good way to put it. You know, if somebody's if somebody's in a church and they they come to the Lord in that that day, and leave the building and die in a car wreck on the way home, like they never had that opportunity to get baptized. And even I think likewise, if you know, if say somebody gets gets saved and they don't have access to Scripture or they can't read um, and maybe don't understand that concept, and they go you know, many years without being baptized and they die at old age, I don't think they're denied access to heaven sure, because, sure. well, you didn't go all the way through with this, you know. So I agree. I think I don't think that, that it's an absolutely necessary thing unto salvation. Salvation itself is something so, entirely different. Um, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, so you, all of those, you made excuses for them why they didn't get baptized. What if they just didn't get baptized? Well, there's that too. Now, now, now well, that's that totally mirror? different. That, that that, I, I, I will say that it's different because, <laughs> because there's a difference between having complete ignorance of the matter versus having knowing, making a choice not to do something that Scripture has told us to do. Hmm. So I would, I would argue. Or making a choice not to or, or just never quite choosing to. Well, no, that's different though because that's... It's an important question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but, but, it is, it is kind uh, of. You know, this is this is actually interesting because what Just I hear the, the three This of is you a little saying, bit personal because Elise chose to be baptized. Mm-hmm. We all got sick and it didn't happen. She mm-hmm. hasn't been baptized yet. Oh boy. 
So I just want well, to make sure you guys are clear we're, what we're talking about. We're here. leaning on the deep. I hope nothing so, happens on the way home. Yeah. <laughs> hey, at least you're fine. It's household. I don't, I don't really want to. I mean, it's, it's easy to attempt to, to kind of joke here, but I don't want yeah. to joke. I want yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. I want to be clear. No, here. I think I think it's important that I I think again. I that's why I feel. I'm not at all make excuse for not. She is going to be baptized. I mean that it's yeah. going to happen, but it is not required for her. For her this is. I want to ask something on, on that because because I feel like this we we could there's a chance that we could be getting um, there could be like a debate about something that nobody here holds to, and that That's is. That's what I'm trying to make clear. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. When when I when I read Galatians um, three twenty seven. And you tell me you don't think that's talking about water baptism. Um, I look at the word baptism, and I think about what baptism connotates. And I think about the fact that we are, you know, Noah was baptized in the flood. And the Israelites were baptized through the Red Sea. And yes, those were not, you know, those were not camp baptisms where we went under and held held our nose and came up and got a a t-shirt. That's not what those baptisms were, but Scripture says they were baptisms. Mm-hmm. And so when we read that those who have put on Jesus through baptism, I don't know that we should so quickly dismiss it as being unconnected to water baptism. But I wouldn't dream of connecting the water baptism with controlling the Holy Spirit. You know, so when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon believers, that happens. Um, that happens whenever the Holy Spirit chooses to move. He's like the wind. You can't control him. And so the idea of, of baptism, the, of the water going on and the grace coming in, has a very low view of God. It's like saying, hey, I can control God through this Absolutely. little magic you know, rite of baptism. But at the same time, baptism is actually telling us something. And so when I look at Galatians 3.27, I see that as talking about our baptism. But it doesn't necessarily have to refer to the physical act of our baptism, but the, but the covenantal reality that our baptism signifies. Does that help at all? I'm not, you could, there's going to be people in hell who've been baptized, and there'll be lots of people in heaven who've never been baptized. I think we can all kind of get that out of the way right now. Baptism in and of itself doesn't, it's a symbol. It really is a symbol. Um, and so, you know, all no joking at all, because it is a big deal. If your kids aren't baptized, that's not to say that they are not saved. That's not to say that they're not regenerate. That would be a very, that'd be a very Catholic thing. It'd be like, a, oh, you're close to death. We've got to give you the last rites. So what, were the, what was the thing? Got to put oil on you so you slide into heaven easier? Isn't that? <laughs> you know, on the other hand, David's saying, uh, the guy on the video there, uh, he certainly wasn't saying that circumcision was taken that lightly by God because if you didn't do that, it's like you're being disobedient. And we'll With Moses. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll kill you. Yeah. But, I, but I would say that's because Jesus said to come in. Jesus is my circumcision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's his act. It's his righteousness. It's his cutting off that's yeah. mm-hmm. giving me access. And that's where the salvation He's my are. ticket to the yeah. table is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, even the, like, if you look back at the, the Jewish baptism, when they were baptized, what they were, my understanding of that is they're signifying is, I wasn't there for the salvation walk through the Red Sea. 
Yeah. But I'm joining in with those people that did that. I'm saying I'm standing with them. So it wasn't like they, mm. at that moment, they went back and walked through dry land again. I mean, it's right. just saying, but there is a really strong connection to that. Like so, you're saying, you are connected to that now because you have come into the covenant, uh-huh. you're part of the people. You, you're, this is an outward sign that I didn't walk through the Red Sea, but I'm joining the people that walk through the Red Sea. I'm becoming a part of that covenant. First Corinthians 10, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed yeah. them, and that rock was Christ. Right. So, so even though Jesus hadn't come yet, he was still in the desert with them. He was, he was following them around as a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke and, and giving them water from the rock and sending them food from heaven. Um, and you're totally right. So when, when, we, when we hear about the Israelites be, being disobedient, they were in the covenant. They were being disobedient. We better watch out. We can't be disobedient because we know just being in the covenant isn't a guard against being disobedient. Right. And so I think that that's that connection of like our fathers walked through the Red Sea. That was us. We were covenantally present with them, even though... Physically, we weren't. Yeah. Symbolically, we were there. Right. Hey, Joe. Yes. Um, you know how the lights go off in this place automatically at nine. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what I was going to say, though, so I, am, I was really joking there. It's 9.05. Yeah. <laughs> but just to turn a corner a little bit, um, I'm, when this uh, pastor, or yeah. uh, David Hatcher, Hatcher, yep. uh, comes... We uh, should probably have a, uh, a pretty good idea of some other questions to talk yeah. about because we don't want to just talk about things that we might want to disagree on a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a great idea. You know, we got tithing at 40%. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, what that's right. About. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. it, it certainly there's got to be very uh, many fundamental things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from salvation to right. obedience and a daily walk with Christ that mm-hmm. we would want to hear about and things right. like that too. Yeah. That, uh, and more than that, of course. Sure. And, and communion and baptism is fine. Yeah. But uh, let, let's make sure that we really tap into him in a way that great idea. gives us something that we can all say, yeah, I could... Mm. I could sit under that teaching in yeah. the evening on a Sunday. You know, one of the things I think that the church is really, you know, even from when I was a kid, that's a long, getting to be a long time ago. But but I mean, it's I mean, you go to church in the morning and it's over. It's like, mm. and, and I'm a type of guy that I just get sucked into work and I'm all of a sudden I'm out doing stuff mm. then. And really, we should have a day where we just really feast on the Lord. And so that evening service would be great. Yeah. And I'm in a lot of churches don't do that anymore. Sure. Um, and so, so I'll, I'm going to be really interested yeah. that something like that could happen from a good standpoint and don't have a problem with, you know, potato baptism or, or whatever. Sure. In that right. Sense. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that is really, really good. I, I is, is he coming like prepared to present stuff, or is he just yes. coming to? Yeah. In fact, he uh, the last email, uh, our last email exchange. He wanted to know about how long. He said, "I don't have any schedule. I can be as late as we want." But 
but I just want to know how much to prepare. Nine oh five. Yeah, nine oh five. When the lights come out, don't tell about the lights then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, you know, um, he uh, is actually going to do an overnight with his wife. Uh, he's got a. Um, uh, he's got so they're up in uh, kind of uh, Bothell area. They're going to come down do kind of an overnight. So he said he's not. It doesn't like we. It's not like we need to do it earlier in the evening or, uh, or in the evening. Or, so at seven o'clock next week will work just fine. And yeah, we'll try to respect his time and maybe keep it to like 90 minutes or something like that. But if I think that uh, a great thing to do would be to, to come up with some, some good questions, maybe even to shovel his way sooner than later so that he can prepare for those. Yeah, I, I like what you said about not looking for points of disagreement because we're really, because yeah. we could, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. I don't think it should even be a discussion. I think it's yeah. more just like ask him and say, okay, mm -hmm. and ask him something else, okay, yeah. as opposed to like, wait, how can you say that? What yeah. do you mean? Yeah, exactly. Not, not necessarily make him prove anything, yeah. just, just show him where, just find out where he's at. Yeah. I like it. Awesome. Well, we should, we should close up so we don't get uh, fumbling our way to the door. <laughs> Lighthearted joke. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I want uh, Dad at least to have time to go home and talk about when they're going to get baptized. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, BJ, do you want to close this in prayer? Yeah. yeah. Father, we thank you uh, that you're our God and, and uh, in Christ is in all wisdom, all knowledge. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would just uh, show us your way, help us to major in the major things and minor in the minor things. And, and God, we pray that uh, thy will would be done in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.